for the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Kate Scott. This is the update. On today's show. Well, as opposed to pretty much every other sports entity, which as we know, are all currently shut down because of COVID-19, the NFL opened for business on Wednesday, and the 49ers have done a whole lot of business since that opening bell. So with help from NFL writer David Lombardi, we're going to get into that business, the re-signing of Armstead and Ward, the trade of DeForest Buckner, and what it all means money-wise as the NFL draft approaches. It's Friday, March 20th. Well, David, talk going into the offseason was that the 49ers wanted to keep, understandably, as much of their NFC Championship winning squad together, while also knowing they'd have to trim here and there. So let's almost go move by move as we start talking, because they've made a lot of moves already this week. So let's start with two of the big three free agents that we knew they were going to probably want to re-sign coming into this season. So they re-signed safety Jimmy Ward, three years, 28.5 mil, and they re-signed Eric Armstead, five years, 85 mil. So break down those deals for us. What do you think about those two? Well, you have to compare the Eric Armstead one to the deal that DeForest Buckner got with the Colts after the 49ers traded Buckner away to the Colts because that's the financial sphere in which we're operating here. You mentioned that the 49ers were going to have to make some trade-offs, and they obviously did have to make a big trade-off. Losing DeForest Buckner was a sacrifice, but it was one they ultimately felt they had to make. And when you look at the financial spreadsheet, I think the 49ers were right because Eric Armstead's deal is worth up to $17 million a year annually. You look over at DeForest Buckner's new deal with the Colts, one which he demanded. I mean, this was uh, along the financial parameters that he wanted from the 49ers, but they weren't able to, to give, is worth $21 million a year of annual average value if he, if he earns it all. So that's a $4 million gap, meaning Armstead, came uh, significantly cheaper, especially for a 49ers team that only has about $10 million of salary cap space remaining right now. So $4 million here and there is huge. You know, you realize they saved money by trading Buckner away because this year he's going to play on that fifth-year option price. So that comes off the books. And then in the future, you don't have to worry about the $21 million a year so they can go after other guys, maybe Joey Bosa, if he comes available next year. So you just look at the financial machinations there and you understand that our Armstead was cheaper, and they also got a first-round pick in return for Buckner. So it's Armstead plus a first-round pick plus a little bit more money, but no Buckner. That's the equation here for the 49ers, and that's where the Armstead signing comes in. That being said, I mean, we look at the details of the Armstead numbers. There are some incentives there, uh, as there always are, but uh, you see the $17 million per year, but unless he plays up to a Pro Bowl All-Pro level every year, which the 49ers hope, it's probably going to be something worth 14 or $15 million per year, which I think is exactly where the 49ers want it to be. That's what I was saying ahead of this deal. They wanted something at $15 million per year. If the guy comes out and his first team All-Pro for four straight seasons, well, that's great. You don't mind paying him $17 million a year. At that point, you're getting him at a discount. So I think that the financial terms here are about what we expected for Eric Armstead. Now, I know there was some talk of using the franchise tag on Armstead. Should they have done that, or do you like the fact that they locked him up long term? Well, the franchise tag would have cost, what, $17.3 million per year? So it, it looks like they uh, got Eric Armstead at a discount. And with the franchise tag, it wouldn't have even been possible, really, given their financial situation right now. The 49ers, as I said, are only at about $10 million in salary cap space, plus or minus a couple million, because it, it depends on a lot of moving pieces. But what happens with the, the franchise tag is that you have to pay him that flat rate 
in one season, and all of that flat rate becomes the cap hit in that season. So it, what what it was, I think, uh, $17.3 million for the franchise tag this year. That would have meant an Eric Armstead salary cap hit of $17.3 million right here in 2020. You can do the math. They don't have $17.3 million in room <laughs> right. right now. They'd be over the cap, which you can't do. So it just wasn't possible to franchise tag Eric Armstead and then do anything else. They would have had to just had their hands tied. If they execute a long-term deal, which is what they did, they can monkey with the numbers. They can push the cap hits back. And that's exactly what Prague Marathe did with Eric Armstead's deal. In fact, his salary cap hit this season is only $6 million. Oh, wow. So you have salary cap hits upwards of $20 million in future years when the cap is going to increase, but only six this year. So they were able to financially jerry-rig this thing to make it cheaper this year and then have room to do other signings. That wouldn't have been possible under the franchise tag. Okay, so let's get in some of those other signings. So Ward Armstead are coming back. DeForest Buckner is now a Colt. Who do you see stepping into that void? I know the Niners re-signed Ronald Blair on a one-year deal. Yeah, I mean, Ronald Blair is obviously one of the names, although he's more of an edge guy. Mm-hmm. Ronald Blair is really versatile. That's why the 49ers love him. He could play really at any position except for the one technique, the nose tackle spot along the defensive line. So Ronald Blair, you know, he, he's not going to be a starter, but he's going to be a guy that plugs in everywhere, and he's obviously part of the part of the effort to replace Buckner, who was a pure three-technique defensive tackle in the middle. Now, you look at the, the 49ers' rotation up front, and you don't see a pure three-technique there who played a lot last year, but you do see DJ Jones, who I think has the potential to, to become a star. He is a one-technique, that means pure nose tackles body, big stocky guy, I call those guys fire hydrants, right? They're you know guys who can really absorb double teams. But what we saw out of DJ Jones last year, we don't see out of the typical one technique as far as explosiveness. We saw him blast through the Seattle center, obviously, in Week 10 and sack Russell Wilson. But we all also saw a couple insane speed plays. Three receivers right. Here's a gun run. They brought Aaron Jones back into the game. He got stacked up. I don't think he got it. He did not. DJ Jones, who was one of the heroes on the goal line stands in L.A., does it again. And they have three receivers to the left. Here's a pusher. DJ Jones will drop. Russell Wilson coming virtually unblocked right in the middle of their front, and he drops him for a sack. Yeah, virtually unblocked because he just railroaded the center, Joey Hunt plays that 320 pounders aren't supposed to make in the NFL, like one where he ran down Russell Wilson to the sideline. And it was really eye-opening, not only to, to me and fans, but to the 49ers staff. And I think that they saw that and they said, hey, even though this guy's not a prototypical three technique, he has some three tech athleticism. And if it, this is going to be a, a you know by committee rotation job to replace Buckner, no doubt about it. But I think DJ Jones is one of the names at the forefront of that job you know you you have a lot of guys who can rotate through but i think jones will have some one tech duties but he'll also slide over to the three tech because he's shown he has the athleticism to handle it and and then you mix in guys like blair like solomon thomas uh like kevin givens the uh, undrafted free agent Mm. who the 49ers really like Contavious Street, too, if he's healthy. You know, Contavious Street was actually drafted to play this position. So you have a group of guys, and if the by committee effort is solid from each of these guys, I think the 49ers can have a replacement level effort at the very least. That they have gotten worse without Buckner, no question about it. 
but they think they can make up for enough of it through these other guys, and then they'll be put over the top by the fact they now have a number 13 overall pick to spend and uh, more financial capital to spend. Okay, let's move to the offensive side of the ball for a bit, David. Kendrick Bourne, Matt Breida, they were given second-round tenders. So what the heck does that mean? There are three levels of tenders. There's the bottom-level tender, there's the second-round tender, and there's the first-round tender. Tenders always go to guys who have only been in the league for three years, so usually undrafted free agents who are not on standard rookie deals, which last four years, right? right? right. So. After three years, a team can evaluate how this undrafted rookie has been performing and whether or not he's in their future plans. And instead of giving him a standard contract, they're allowed to tender him. And what happens is a team has to determine how valuable they think that particular player is. If you don't think he's valuable at all, you don't tender him at all and you hope that no other team signs him and maybe you can bring him back you know, just at the, the, the league minimum rate, which would be about $825,000 or something like that. But if you think the other teams are interested in this guy, then you can offer him one of the three tenders. And the top two tenders, the second round and the first round tender, offers a team protection in case another team offers him more money. So this is what the 49ers did with Bourne and Brita. They offered them the second round tender, which is about $3.2 million dollars. This means that Bord and Breda may now start talking to other teams during this restricted free agency period for them. And if another team, say the Rams, offers Kendrick Bourne $4 million, the 49ers will have a chance to match that contract offer. Now, if the 49ers don't match that contract offer and the Rams are able to sign Kendrick Bourne for $4 million, the Rams will owe the 49ers a second round draft pick next year. That's what the second round tender means. Now, if the 49ers had placed the lowest level tender on Bourne, only $2.1 million, that would mean that the Rams could sign Bourne for three or four million dollars. And if the 49ers declined to match the Rams offer, they wouldn't get a draft pick in uh, compensation. Mm -hmm. So it's essentially a one plus million dollar insurance policy that the 49ers bought on Bourne and Breida by giving them the second round tender because they were afraid that some other team might try to outbid them for these guys. Mm -hmm. And by placing that insurance policy, by paying over a million dollars for the second tender, that means that they'll get a second round draft pick in return, which makes it way less likely that another team will try to outbid them for those players. Okay, I appreciate that because uh, I know this can get confusing real quick for folks, so appreciate that explanation. Some other moves under the radar, maybe, but still important. Jarek McKinnon, Ben Garland, Sean Coleman, talk to us about those. Well, the Jarek McKinnon one's really interesting to me because that's a standard pay cut. We all know the controversy that surrounded Jarek McKinnon's contract when the 49ers first signed him because the league had been moving in the opposite direction, right? Running backs don't usually get paid anymore, but the 49ers were one of the teams that did pay a running back. Uh, Four years, $30 million was the total potential worth of that contract back in 2018. It was controversial at the time, and then obviously the 49ers took a lot of heat for it after McKinnon didn't play a single snap for them over two seasons. So the 49ers basically ejected out of that contract, and there was a dead money penalty. But what they did is they turned right around, and after scrapping that first contract, throwing it into the trash, they re-signed McKinnon at the league minimum. 
which is $910,000 per year for players with four to six years of experience. So they're still paying some dead money from the first contract that they had to throw away, but now they're getting McKinnon at the lowest rate possible, and they're going to give him another chance to to suit up for the football team this next year. So they, they basically told Jarek McKinnon, hey, unless you sign this deal for the minimum, we're not offering anything, and we could just cut you because at this point we can't afford – to continue paying right. you along the right. lines of the contract that you initially signed. And the, the other ones, though, these are all small deals, obviously. Uh, it's, it's not a ton of money. I know we mentioned Jimmy Ward at the top. That's the big one, mm-hmm. $9.5 million per year. That's what makes him the 12th or 13th highest paid safety in the league. And other ones, you know, this is about re-signing depth, and that's what good franchises do. They uh, go to the Super Bowl, obviously. The 49ers did this past year. And then you have key depth pieces, as was the case for the 49ers, who relied a ton on depth this past year and you continue developing guys by uh, offering them some extensions and you usually are able to get guys at relative discounts as opposed to free agency where you're bringing in outside players at uh, prices that are way above market rate. So what does all this mean with uh, free agent wideout Emmanuel Sanders and the draft? Well, based on my calculations, and I have had to put in a couple estimates here because I don't know the numbers for Ronald Blair yet and we're still waiting on the numbers for the uh, backup guard they just signed in in Tom Compton, but uh, I think the 49ers around 12 million or so in available salary cap space. The draft because they now have an extra pick, pretty high mm-hmm. up at number 13, has gotten a little bit more expensive for the 49ers because picks are slotted for different uh, monetary amounts. The higher you go, the more expensive it is. So I think the draft's going to cost six to seven million dollars for the 49ers and you know you could quickly do that math if you say 12 million that they currently have minus 7 million that the draft might cost it's only 5 million in current space for the 49ers Mm. Uh, for perspectives Emmanuel Sanders made 10 million dollars last year and I don't think he wants to you know take too big of a pay cut off of that 10 million because he was still very effective so that means Emmanuel Sanders will only come back to the 49ers, in my opinion, at a significant discount. Now, there are still other cost-saving measures that the 49ers can take. They can you know, release a guy like Marquise Goodwin. They could even potentially release a guy like Tevin Coleman. And they can make, you know, through all these moves, they can still open up about $10 million more in space. So if they really, really want to and they find it very necessary to re-sign Emmanuel Sanders, that there is a path forward to do that, even at market rate. The question is, do the 49ers find that to be sustainable since he'll be 33 years old? And um, I'm not so sure they're that eager to spend on Emmanuel Sanders if it doesn't come at at least a slight discount because they can draft a a wide receiver. They will probably get Trent Taylor back, maybe even Jalen Hurd back. I I know those are health-dependent kind of things. But you have to look at all of the options here, and some are definitely cheaper than others. And Emmanuel Sanders is, is one of the more expensive options right now. And so the 49ers want to make sure they continue to proceed forward sustainably. And the truth of the matter this year is that they don't have a lot of salary cap space anymore. David, this was awesome. Super educational. Really appreciate it. Thanks for stopping by. All right. Thank you. Man, thank goodness for folks like David Labardi, huh? Breaking tenders and trades and restructured contracts down into language that all of us humans can actually understand. Thanks, David. So to summarize, the Niners locked up a couple of big pieces in Ward and Armstead. They added the 13th overall pick in next month's draft, which is big because other than the 31st overall pick, their five selections that they had prior to the DeForest Buckner trade don't come until day three of the draft. So now they've got double the first-round selections that they did just a couple of days ago. And, as David and I got into, they're bringing back a lot of depth without spending much dough. So, I'd say, so far, 
so pretty good as the 2020 NFL season starts to unfold for the San Francisco 49ers. Coming up in the next few weeks here on The Update. Well, obviously, no live sports for the foreseeable future, so we're going to be diving deep into the storytelling side of sports journalism, which personally, well, it's one of my favorite parts of sports. So in the next few weeks, we're going to be joined by the GM of Chase Center, Kim Stone, who's had an eventful start to her Bay Area tenure after helping to open and now temporarily close the arena in just a seven-month span. A's writer Alex Coffey stops by to talk about a one-of-a-kind friendship between first baseman Matt Olson and Reese Blankenship, a non-speaking autistic man who communicates with Matt through letterboarding and touch. And a story I think we could all use right about now, senior editor Daniel Brown discusses a Stanford alum's random act of grocery store kindness that's inspired thousands across the U.S. as we all adjust to this new normal. All right, that's your update for today. Thanks again to David for stopping by. Thanks to my old friends at KNBR for the sound. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you're enjoying the pod, we'd love for you to rate, review, and subscribe. For Brian, Tanika, all of us here at The Update, I'm Kate Scott. Stay safe and healthy out there, okay? Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you again on Monday.